The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. One of the world's biggest sporting events is about to return in a big way. The Women's World Cup kicking off on July 20th. And one of the co-hosts, Australia, ticket sales have been so high that biggest stadiums are being pressed into action. The tournament is already being billed as the grandest ever. We are counting down for the Women's World Cup. And so is, of course, the U.S. Women's National Team, considered to be the team to beat. As you heard there, excitement is building across the globe for the 2023 Women's World Cup. And a fabulous finish from Trinity Rodman, who has two goals on the day. There are more teams playing this year than ever before. Viewership, both live and on TV, are expected to break records. And the level of play has never been higher. Back in from Cook. Will it go all the way? This year's U.S. team includes four-time World Cup players Alex Morgan, Kelly O'Hara, and Megan Rapino, and she recently announced this World Cup would be her last. When the Women's World Cup kicks off next month, the U.S. women's national team will be shooting for an unprecedented three-peat. The U.S. women are going for that historic three-peat win. No men's team or women's team has ever accomplished that. Would I be happy with anything short of third straight win? No. Absolutely not. So no shortage of things that are the most and the highest. But you know what's not the most and definitely not the highest? The money these world-class athletes take home. We all know about the persistent pay gap between men and women. In the U.S., women still typically earn about 82 cents for every dollar earned by men. And that divide is notoriously wider in the sports world. But Bloomberg's Jenna Hawk crunched the numbers, and she reports that the gap in pay between the men's and women's World Cup teams is at another level of absurd. The best-performing women's team in the World Cup this year will take home $6.2 million split among the players. The 16 worst-performing teams in the men's World Cup all get $9 million each. I'm Wes Kosova. Today on The Big Take, everyone's making money off the Women's World Cup, except the women. Jenna, so good to see you. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Okay, you're excited about the World Cup? So excited. Can't wait. Well, I'm really looking forward to it, too, but I have to say your story threw a very big splash of cold water on my enthusiasm. I'm sure. Yeah, there's a lot of factors on the other side ahead of the game that people have been watching very closely, and that will be really interesting to see how everything pans out. Well, Jenna, you write that the 2023 Women's World Cup is the most anticipated female sporting event ever. Like, why do you say that? What do you base that on? By nearly all metrics, interest in the Women's World Cup has pretty much skyrocketed. 
Whether we're looking at viewership from previous tournaments, whether we're looking at tickets sold versus attendance, there's now more sponsors than ever. Here's Megan Rapino herself speaking about the anticipation around this year's World Cup. If you're not tuning in, you're sort of missing out on a, on a massive cultural moment. You're going to see the best product on the field, and that's because players are going to be able um, to be put in a position to actually do that and just focus on the game and go out there and provide the entertainment everybody wants. I mean, I think it's pretty accurate to say that the Women's World Cup is at the top of its game right now. What are the expected viewership to be? Like, give us a basis of comparison of just how big it's going to be. In the previous World Cup in France in 2019, there were over 1.1 billion viewers across the whole tournament, and they're expected to exceed that by quite a bit. And that's driven by a couple of factors. They are expecting a very strong Asian audience this year because the tournament is being hosted jointly by Australia and New Zealand, and they think there's a really untapped market from several Asian countries, whether it be China, Japan, Korea, and they're really hoping to tap that market this year. And so that's like TV viewership, right? Yes, correct. And then what about people who attend in person? What is that like? Oh, yeah. They're also hoping to break records from ticket sales, too. They've currently sold over 1 million tickets, and the goal is to sell over 1.5. And here's another measure of just how popular women's soccer has become. For the first time this year, there's 32 teams competing all around the world. And that's the same number of teams that had competed in the men's tournament last year. Previously, there was anywhere between an 8 to 16 number of teams gap between the two tournaments. And many people are even saying that the game has become both more global and inclusive because a number of the new countries making their debut this year are from more developing countries, whether it's Haiti, Panama, or the Philippines. And yet, Jenna, you found, looking at all these numbers, that despite all the money and excitement behind Women's World Cup soccer, football, depending on where you live, there's still this persistent wage gap between female players and male players. So this is an issue that FIFA, the governing body of international football, has really made a cornerstone of prioritizing in this tournament and future tournaments. The cup prize for the women this year has swelled to over 110 million. It was 30 million in the last one. So we're talking big gains here. But that still really pales in comparison to what all the men are earning. So some numbers for you. The World Cup prize in Qatar last year was over 440 million. And that was for the men's World Cup. And that was for the men's tournament, correct. And so what does that translate per player, per winning team? The top winning players are going to be guaranteed to take home around 270000 which, in terms of women's soccer, is a very meaningful salary. A number of players make that amount of money over the course of a year. This is just for one month of play. So Megan Rapino, who is a player for the U.S. women's national team, she makes around $250,000 over the course of one year for her base salary. And another important provision that FIFA has also added is that every player is guaranteed to take home at least $30,000. So regardless, they will be compensated for this tournament. And that wasn't the case when the tournament first started in the 1990s. There was no cup prize for anybody. How does the payout to the top performing women's team compare to, say, like the payout for the worst performing men's team? The gap is still massive. The best-performing women's team in the World Cup this year will take home $6.2 million split among the players. 
the 16 worst performing teams in the men's World Cup all get $9 million each. And just to put that another way, the winning team in this year's women's tournament is set to receive $10.5 million total. And as we mentioned, $6.2 million of that is earmarked for distribution to its players. In comparison, the winner in last year's Men's World Cup, which was Argentina, netted $42 million total. But if you look at the salaries, you talked about Megan Rapinoe, who's a big star, makes about $250,000 a year. But what is the average salary for a women's professional soccer player? It really depends on the country. In the U.S., it's somewhere between like seventy to a hundred thousand. There's guaranteed minimum salary levels in the U.S. That guaranteed level is around thirty-five thousand dollars. Again, and that's for one year's worth of play. Thirty-five thousand dollars. And you say FIFA has really made this a priority. I guess my first question is why? Why are they concentrating on this so much? When you look at most men and women's sports in the U.S. On the women's side, they generally say it's not fair to compare the men and the women. The WNBA says this a lot. The National Women's Soccer League also says this a lot. They say the men's league is older. Don't compare them between the two. It's not a fair comparison. We're doing our own thing and we're working on it. When it comes to FIFA, that messaging is not there at all. The FIFA president, Gianni Infantino, has made it a commitment to try to reach equal prize money for both the men and women starting in the 2026 and 2027 tournaments. And one of the ways that he's really trying to do that is shoring up better media rights for the men and women. Is it realistic to think that they can shrink that enormous gap in just a couple of seasons? There's a long way to go for sure. This tournament on the women's side has shown tremendous interest and tremendous investment from other areas, whether it be corporate sponsors or different partners. Like I said before, there's more sponsors than ever now with the Women's World Cup. And shoring up better deals like that is what's going to be the thing that's going to narrow that gap. So let's talk about the sponsorship numbers. How does World Cup soccer make its money? So the World Cup really makes its money by selling media rights. So you go to a broadcasting company, whether it's the BBC or Fox or Telemundo, and you say, I will give you the exclusive rights to air this in a certain country, but you have to pay me X amount, millions of dollars. And what does that amount to worldwide for the Women's World Cup? It's a difficult question because historically the men and women's media rights have been bundled together. So FIFA has sold them to a broadcasting company and you just get access to both. That is a huge revenue driver for FIFA. It's projected to account for over a third of their revenue in the next four-year cycle. And from 2019 to 2022, FIFA brought in over $3.4 billion worth of revenue all due to media rights. But this year was the first year that FIFA decided to sell the rights separately. Because the interest of the women's game has boomed in the last several years, FIFA made a commitment to say, hey, we want to sell this separately. It's bringing in its own viewership. These women can hold their own. And sources have said previously that the Women's World Cup rights this year is worth around $300 million. $300 million, And then what about the men's rights? So it's hard to parse exactly the numbers for what the men's broadcasting rights are worth, but we know that offers for the women's rights were coming in at about 5 to 6% of what the men's rights are actually worth. After the break, FIFA wants TV networks to pay up. 
The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. See if it takes in all this money for the broadcast rights, but then how does that money reach the teams and then reach the players? Yeah, so there's no direct tie in the contracts between the women players and FIFA that mandates that X percentage of the revenue money directly goes to players. But FIFA has said in order to reach this equal parity in cup prize, better media rights need to happen for the women. The president, Infantino, has promised that as they get these bigger media rights, they will be able to pay the players more. Infantino has said he remains very committed to this issue of equal parity, and that is unlike any major president of a sports agency that we've seen before. If we know there's so much interest in this game and high viewership, which means the broadcasters are going to be able to sell lots of advertising and probably sell it at pretty good prices, what's the holdup with them paying more for something that is demonstrably so profitable and so popular? It's difficult to pin down an answer. The president of FIFA has just been saying these broadcasting companies are trying to lowball the women because previously they haven't had to put a dollar figure because, again, this men and women's tournament was bundled together. Previously, they were bundled because at a certain point, interest hadn't boomed for the women's tournament. And so it was just sort of easier to sell them together. But now that Interest has sort of skyrocketed, and many people are just watching the Women's World Cup out of their own volition. They thought this is the time, and this is the first year to unbundle them and and sell the rights separately. So you would think that given the popularity of this sport, FIFA would just say, no, you got to pay us more for the rights because the networks are going to want to broadcast these games, aren't they? And that's exactly what's been happening. So FIFA kept rejecting low offer bids for months and months on end. But as we got closer to the tournament, roughly a month out, they still hadn't reached a deal with major European countries, whether it be the UK, Spain, Italy. And so finally, FIFA had accepted a bid from BBC, which, again, we think it's around 9 to 10 million, which consequently is around 5 to 6%, as we said before, of what the men's rights are worth. So we've talked about the discrepancies in pay, in media rights, but you also write that the conditions that the players actually play under are different between women and men, too. Yeah, there's a number of struggles that these women have had to overcome to compete in the World Cup that just haven't been present for any of the men's tournaments leading up. There was a survey done, and about 93% think there should be improvement in pay and prize money. Another uh, nearly 40% of players in the qualifying tournaments said they didn't have access to any mental health support. More than two-thirds of them didn't have sufficient examining ahead of playing. And around a third of players had said they didn't think there was enough recovery time in between games. There's also a number of new countries that are participating in the World Cup this year. The field of teams was expanded by an additional eight teams, and some of the teams that are competing for the first time have also had to overcome really adverse conditions. 
Haiti, it's their first time competing on the World Cup stage this year. It's the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, and they haven't had access to even a home field. They have to play in the neighboring Dominican Republic country to actually participate in qualifying tournaments. Jenna, what have the players themselves said about these gaps in pay and conditions in broadcast rights, all of it? I spoke with a Haiti player, and she was just so thrilled to even be participating in the tournament. She said, I'm so happy to be making history. We're not finished yet. There's more work to be done, and I'm happy to be a part of that. On the U.S. side, there's a little bit of a different perspective. The U.S. has won the World Cup four times now, and I think many of them leading up to it were very angry. They've showed that they can do it. They've showed that they can be champions. By most metrics, you could argue that they're more talented in terms of winning than the men's counterpart in the U.S. I mean, you can just look at the numbers. The women's U.S. World Cup team has won four championships in the last 25 years. The men's team has actually never won a World Cup, ever. And these complaints have started to bubble up and become public in a way that they hadn't before. Absolutely. There were several lawsuits filed by the U.S. women's national team over discrimination of pay, and this all bubbled up and reached a lot of national attention. The six-year battle for equal pay for members of the U.S. women's national soccer team has finally come to an end with a landmark settlement. It's yet another achievement for one of the winningest teams in sports history. And it ended up last year that in their new collective bargaining agreement that the U.S. Soccer Federation actually etched into their agreement that there would be equal pay. Now, all the men's and women's World Cup prize money in the U.S. is pooled together and then split equally. So how does that work in real life? So they take the winnings from the men's team in a given year, and they take all the winnings from a women's team in the given year, and they pool all that money up and then split it directly in half. Half go to the men, half go to the women, and then those teams amongst themselves decide how to split it up among their players. And that's winnings. That's different from salaries that individual players earn. Correct. In a different world, it would be the men's team that really benefited from this because the women's team is often the champion. But even though the men's team hasn't won, they still are handing over more money to the team that has won. Yeah, upon first glance, it sounds like, oh, now the men are just going to be mooching off the champions who are the women. But again, that's unfortunately not the case. Again, the worst performing 16 teams in the men's World Cup will automatically take home $9 million. So actually, this equal pay that's been etched into their previous contract is actually a big payday for the women and is a very meaningful change. When we come back, how long will it take to close this pay gap? The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Is there any talk of the next step? They've decided to divide the winnings and make them equal. Is there any movement on the salaries for the players? 
Salaries has been a big area of negotiation for both the U.S. women's national team and the men's national team. However, unfortunately, the U.S. is already making such strides with this splitting of the cup prize money. And no other country has really done this on a permanent basis. Canada has an interim deal to do this, but because they're already sort of paving the road, there hasn't been much leverage to push the needle even more forward. So Jenna, there's this big goal by FIFA to make things right pretty soon. Will we see this gap meaningfully closed in the near future? It's going to depend a lot on the future of these media rights and broadcasting deals. Right now, it's not looking so bright considering the offers are coming in again around 5 to 6% of what the men are making. But FIFA has also said they remain very committed to this issue. And again, that's a departure from what we've seen from previous heads of other major sporting associations in the U.S. As you continue to report on this story, and there's a lot happening What are you watching for? What's the most important thing to keep an eye out? Leading up to the tournament, we'll be really interested in seeing how ticket sales pan out. FIFA has made it a goal to try to sell over 1.5 million tickets, which would be a record for any previous women's tournament. And they're at around a little over 1.1 million right now. So it will be really interesting to see if they can actually reach their goal. Another metric that we're watching closely is viewership numbers. Viewership numbers is a really strong indicator of what media rights should look like when people are actually have eyes on the game on TV screens. So we'll be watching that closely. And of course, we'll be watching the play closely. If the U.S. wins again this year, it would be their fifth overall Women's World Cup title. And only one other team has achieved that before on the men and women's side. And that's the Brazil's men team. Jenna, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Katherine Fink. Rebecca Chasson is our producer. Our associate producer is Sam Gebauer. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. With additional production support from Nayeli Jaramillo Plata, our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back on Monday with another Big Take. Have a great weekend. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.